Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Kids today. <laughs> Kids today. I, 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 and I know that when I was, when I was a kid, that, my parents said the same thing. Kids today. Some things never change. But the, the thing that has changed in this generation that, that I can't quite wrap my mind around uh, is, the, is the fact that kids don't want to drive today. I mean, uh, you know, my, my kids, they, uh, they didn't get their driver's license until they were in their 20s. I mean, when I was uh, 15 and a half, I had my, uh, my learner's permit. And when I was 16, I, I mean, on the day that I turned 16, I had my driver's license. And you know what? My parents were great. They said, you know what? You can drive the family car, uh, and uh, you can use it any time you want to. All you have to do is put gas in it, and we'll cover everything else. And th- that was actually a pretty good deal. But you know what? As a 16-year-old driving around in a 1962 uh, four-door Ford Galaxy 500, just wasn't cool. And so I scraped my money together, and I bought my first car. And it was a 1967 Volkswagen VW Beetle. And that was a cool car. I mean, I love that car. And uh, I've, I've come to find out that 1967, if you are a Volkswagen aficionado, 1967 is the holy grail of, uh, of Volkswagens. Uh, it was the first year they had gone to a 12-volt electrical system so that you had brighter lights. You could actually see when you drove down the road. Uh, uh, there was a 1600cc engine with absolutely no smog uh, controls on it. They started putting the smog stuff on in 1968. Uh, it was just an all-around really nice, uh, nice car. And so, what did I do when I got it? First thing I got, to, first thing I did was I started modifying it. I changed out the wheels. I changed out the the uh, the muffler system so that it could, you know, sound, uh, uh, you know, more rumbly when it went, went down the road. Uh, I changed out the seats. I I I, I, I pulled out the radio. Installed a you know, I, I installed a, a, a eight-track tape deck. I mean, that was, that was the cutting-edge technology at the time. Uh, and, and I love that car. And, and uh, my cousin and I, we were, we were driving up, uh, uh, up to Fresno from Visalia, going to Fresno to go to a concert, uh, and it died. Uh, I lost all the oil, engine froze up, uh, and, that, and, that, and that was it. Um, so what did I do? I bought a new one. I bought another one. I bought another Volkswagen in 1974 right off the showroom floor. Uh, and, and it was new and it was improved and all, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I'm thinking about that as I'm, as I'm working through uh, uh, the, the book of Hebrews, uh, thinking about the work that I had done on the, uh, on the 67. And I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to make it better. And then you, you know, and then, but, but then you, you can only go so far, and eventually it breaks down, and then you gotta, then you gotta buy the new and improved model, and and that seems to be, uh, that seems to be the, uh, the the mantra uh, in our consumer-driven uh, culture. Whatever you have, you need to improve it, and if you can't improve it, you need to buy the new one because the new one is improved. And it's this ongoing process. And as I think back, what I'd really like to have, if I had my choice, would be to have that 67 Volkswagen back in a completely restored 
to its original condition. That would be cool. But ultimately, that too would fail. I'm thinking about this as we're working through the book of Hebrews. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. Because the, the, the book of Hebrews in this opening, opening spot is a lot about, uh, about restoration and fixing what was broken. And you ask, well, what is broken? Well, I, I, does anybody really need to ask that question? I mean, all we have to do is look around the world today and we see everything is broken. But that's not the way. That's not the way that it was in the beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth and, and all that is in it, uh, we read about those seven, six days of creation. And at the, at the end of the sixth day, at the end of every day, God said, oh, this is good. Day one, this is good. Day two, this is good. Every day is good. And then he gets to the sixth day and he says, this is very good. And he creates humanity in his image and, and, and he gives to us dominion over all of creation. He says, this is yours. You take care of it. You be good stewards. And we think, yay, great. So we have, uh, we have creation, but then what happens shortly after creation? We have the fall. And people have asked the question over and over again, you know, what was that snake doing in that garden, that serpent? And uh, there's, there's so many things that we don't understand. But there are things in Scripture that we get little glimpses of to recognize that there is another narrative that's going on in the heavenly realms that we do not see and that do we do not fully comprehend. And, there, there, and people have taken the bits of Scripture and they've unpacked it and, and, and they've suggested that when God created the heavens and the earth, and as he, as he talked with his heavenly counsel, let us make humanity in our image, and in the image of God he made them male and female, that, the, that not all the angels were real thrilled about this. Not all the angels were excited about sharing power and authority with human beings, finite beings that were created in the image of God. And so what they sought to do was to disrupt God's plan. Let's damage that image. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's tempt them and, and, and make them become disobedient. And let's see what happens. And that happens in the fall. When, when, when humanity, uh, Adam and Eve, decide that it's no longer good enough to be created in God's image and to be faithful to God, they want to be God themselves. They want to decide and make the decisions. They want to know what's good and what's evil. They already knew what was good. Everything that they had was good. But the fall occurs. And from that moment until the incarnation of Christ, we have the plan of redemption unfolding. So we have creation, fall, redemption, and then the final phase is restoration. But in the midst of the restoration that we see going on, and we've talked about this, we've talked about the importance of, uh, of the fact that we have been created in the image of God, but that that image is distorted and, and, and we are separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, his life and his work on the cross, 
we have been redeemed. We have been, uh, uh, we have been declared righteous in God's court. We have, uh, we have entered into a relationship with God. And now we are being, in the process, being restored uh, into that image. And that's a process, and it doesn't happen overnight. Trust me, I know. And if you don't want to take my word for it, you can ask my wife. I am still a work in progress. So all of this is, all of this is playing out uh, uh, in, 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 in creation and in the world. And when Jesus comes along, that is the game changer. That is the game changer. And we need to remember that the book of Hebrews was written to a, a, a group of Christians who were Jewish background believers. And they, and they were under some pressure. They were under pressure from, uh, uh, from the secular world. They were under pressure from the Gentile background believers who thought they were being a little too Jewish. Uh, and they were under pressure from their friends and family who were, who were still observant Jews wanting them to come back. And, and, the, and the persecution and the pressure was just building. And, and, and some of them were starting to drift. Some of them were starting to drift. And we talked about that last week. That, uh, and and the, the whole first, if, I, if, I, if we had the time, I would reread the whole first chapter and the, and the second chapter to you, for you this morning. But you'll remember that the first chapter talked about the superiority of the sun to the angels. That there was this belief uh, in the first century that God had become so transcendent, so transcendent that the only way they could communicate with God was through intermediary messengers, angels. So the angels took on a, 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 a more important role in the theology of the first century believers than was right and proper. Uh, but it happened. And so they're struggling with trying to sort through all this. And the author of Hebrews wants them to understand how important it is to keep your eyes focused on Jesus because Jesus is the key. Jesus, like no other, is the one who brings us into the presence of God uh, and, and, and restores that relationship. Uh, and, and, and so that's why in chapter 2 uh, we read that we must be more careful uh, uh, pay more careful attention to what we have heard uh, so that we do not drift away for this message spoken by if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And now we move into the passage for today. I know, just stay with me. This is good stuff. Just stay with me. In verse 5, it is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at the present, we do not see everything sub subject to him. But 
we see Jesus, who was made little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Such important words for us to understand. And the application of our faith is, is, is faithful obedience to the one that we call Lord and Savior. But that application needs to rest and be established on a firm understanding, a firm belief, a, a firm knowledge of who Jesus is, understanding what he has done, why he did it, what the results were. And, and, and that's what we see going on uh, in these uh, verses 5 through 9. It is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. The world to come. The world to come. Right now, we are in the restoration phase. Operation restoration, if you will. We have... Uh, we understand creation. We understand the fall all too well. We understand the, uh, 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 the, the plan of redemption, that through Jesus Christ, who is God, very God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He showed us the face of God, in how he lives his life. He gives to us a template. He who is fully God, but who does not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. That's not something that we're going to understand. And so he, he comes and, he, and, he, and he, he becomes like us so that he can show us how to live. And, and give us that example of the Father. To see the Son, you see the Father. And he, and he encourages us to live an ethic that has been given to us uh, in the Old Testament and then to punctuate it with grace and forgiveness. And then, he, and then he dies on the cross. And in dying on the cross, he fulfills the law completely. He fulfills the law completely. And in rising from the dead, he becomes the first fruits. And he, now he ascended into the heavens where he reigns. And we ask the question, I get this question all the time. If Jesus is reigning in heaven, how come there's so much hell here on earth? Why do we continue to struggle? Why do we see five-month-olds uh, uh, who, who are taken from their parents with heart conditions? Why do we deal with cancer in this world? Why do we deal with floods and hurricanes? There are, there, are, there are things in this world, there are disasters in this world that are absolutely terrible. And there have been people who have said, I, I can't believe in a God who would allow those things to happen. But I've, I've realized that there are, there are two kinds of disasters that are inflicted upon the world. One of them is natural, one of them is generated by humanity. And by far, the greater disasters that have been inflicted upon the world have been inflicted by humanity. And so we need to look no further than, than our own, in our own lives to recognize the source of that evil. The other, the natural disasters. You know what happens when a natural disaster happens in the world? We see the best of humanity. 
Those are the things, whether it's a hurricane, a hurricane or an earthquake or a pandemic, whatever it is, those are times when we see people come together. We see the very best of humanity emerge in the midst of a natural disaster. We see the very worst of humanity emerge if it is a human-caused disaster. Just think about that for a minute. But when people ask, what, what, what is going on here? What is happening? What, what, is God's do, what is God doing? We need to remember that even in Scripture, it talks about a world to come. It talks about a future in which things will be fully restored. It is a work that is in process. It is the already but not yet. And that's the invitation that we have is to live into the already while we're waiting for the not yet. It is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Wes read that for us this morning from Psalm 8. And the author of, 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 of Hebrews here is, is using that to help us to understand our original state was one in which we were perfect and we were, uh, uh, we were to be stewards of all the world. Subdue the earth, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. God created us a little lower than the angels and he gave us dominion over his creation. That was the original intent. But for reasons that I don't think we will fully comprehend this side of eternity, there was, there was anger, there was resentment, there was bitterness in the heavenly realms, and there was sabotage that occurred that created the fall. But God had a plan of redemption. I believe that God had a plan of redemption before he ever said, let there be light. And that redemption has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And look at verse 8. Uh, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. And yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. And so the author of Hebrews now is making a shift and he's overlaying the incarnation on Psalm 8. And we read about that earlier in verse 13 of the first chapter. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? we have this idea that there is an ongoing process at work, that there is a restoration that is happening, and we are witnessing that restoration. Jesus becomes like us for a season during the incarnation. He is made a little lower than the angels for a season. That's the incarnation. But God has left nothing that is not subject to him. I was reading this past week. You read through the Bible in a year. And I was reading verse, uh, uh, chapter uh, 24 of the book of Psalms. And it reads, it says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Hear that again. The earth is the Lord's. We sang that earlier. This is my father's world. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it, the the world and all who live in it. And you'll remember in the first chapter of Hebrews, we read that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he provided purification for sin, set down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So we have this image, we have this understanding that that Jesus uh, comes down here for a very specific purpose to show us who God is, to teach us how to live, to, to fulfill the plan of redemption and to initiate restoration, to initiate restoration. We do not see everything subject to him at this time, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For us, death has lost its sting. Death is no longer a destination. It is a doorway. It has been defeated. We still live in a broken world, because the plan of restoration is still unfolding. It's still unfolding before our very eyes. God is not slow, but patient, desiring that none should perish. How long does the restoration process take? That's a question that I can't answer. But I know that as we continue to live life in this broken world, we are still going to suffer from the effects of the fall. And, and, and that's, that's why we have uh, uh, inexplicable things like, like five-month-old uh, 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 children who are, who are taken because of heart conditions or, or people who die from a virus or from, uh, uh, from, uh, from some other disease. We need to remember and keep our eyes focused on who God is and what he is doing in the midst of this. Otherwise, we will find ourselves struggling. And if we are building our faith on anything other than Jesus Christ as our Lord, that faith ultimately will collapse like a a house of cards. So how do we approach? How do we respond? In this, in this in-between time, in the already but not yet, as we recognize and we see uh, injustice, as we see pain and suffering. Part of the problem, and I, I wrote this quote down, I, I, I pulled this out of a book. Uh, part, of the, part of the problem is, is that feeling better has become more important to us than finding God. Feeling better has become more important to us than finding God. We live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a day and an age where people are pursuing, uh, pursuing uh, uh, youth and, 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 and vitality and spending a fortune doing it. What is it somebody said? You, 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 you sacrifice your health in order to gain wealth in the early part of your life and in the latter part of your life, you spend your wealth to try to regain your uh, health. Listen to this. We have become committed to relieving the pain behind our problems rather than using our pain to wrestle more passionately with the character and the purpose of God. We have become committed to relieving the pain behind our problems 
rather than using our pain to wrestle more passionately with the character and the purposes of God. God is at work. He is at work in you. He is at work in me. He is transforming us into the image of Jesus. And we talked about that last week when we talked about the, the, the various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are, uh, that are uh, uh, distributed according to His will. Those various miracles being the transformation that we see in people's lives when they accept Jesus into their life when we witness the Holy Spirit transform an individual, making them more and more like Christ. As that person is transformed, as you are being transformed, you become a witness to the world around you. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but you have a testimony of what God is doing in your life as you are engaging in the means that He's given to us, the spiritual directions, the, the, uh, uh, the spiritual disciplines, the image of Jesus, to, to engage in those exercises that allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to make us more like Christ. And people are watching. And people see the difference. In fact, uh, uh, and, and so... Why is God waiting? God is waiting because people are still coming to Christ. People are still hearing the good news and surrendering their lives to God in faithful obedience. And, and some at great cost. For, for, for our partners in the Middle East, they talk about decades, centuries, where, where not a, a, a single person in the Middle East was, was uh, converted to Christianity. And now there are more Muslims coming to Christ uh, than you can possibly imagine. Uh, Jody was just reading a book with her Colson Fellows group called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus about a first-generation Pakistani young man who came to Christ. And he, and, and he struggled with how to, how to tell his parents. He didn't want to tell his parents because of the shame that he knew that it would bring upon them. Not only would he be severed from the family, but his parents would be shamed by his actions. But it was the love of his father for him. He knew his father loved him that opened the way for him to understand the love of the heavenly father that had been given to him through Jesus. More Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ today than ever before. That's exciting. Oftentimes, as their lives change, their communities recognize it and say, you've changed. Have you become a Christian? Have you Which, of course, in the Middle East is a death sentence. And yet death has lost its sting because Jesus has tasted death for all of us. In the resurrection, all things are becoming new. And so when we struggle, and this young man, he struggled. He struggled with the pain that he was causing his parents. He finally asked God, why didn't you just take me the minute that I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? And he said, in a very clear voice, I heard God say, because it's not all about you. And sometimes we forget that. When we find ourselves struggling in life, how we struggle through those problems, how we deal with pain is a testimony and a witness to those who are around us. And that testimony cannot be denied. It will not be denied. They can call us crazy, they can call us insane, they can call us deluded, but what they can't deny is a transformed life. And that's what God is doing. God is in the midst of transforming lives, making us to be more and more like Christ so that more and more people can hear and hear the good news and join us in this marvelous fellowship. 
That is why it is so important for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That is why it is important for us to recognize that he is our model. He is the ideal. He is the one that we follow. He is the one that we emulate. He is our Lord. He is our teacher. We are the students. We are the apprentices. We are the ones who have been distorted and are now being restored through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pay so close attention to this. I'm convinced that some of our greatest challenges lie ahead of us because we are witnessing, as we talked about last week, we are witnessing the cultural drift and the currents of our culture that are driving us away. Drift, people are drifting away from their faith. We cannot afford to let that happen. We need to stand strong, and we stand strong together. That's what the value of the community of faith is. It is in the community of faith where we see the transformation occur and where we have opportunity to live out in authentic community. And authentic community is attractive because everybody is looking for authentic community. And those who are not are in deep, deep pain and they're struggling. You can take an individual piece of paper and you can rip it apart, but you can't take an entire Bible and rip it apart because there's strength in numbers. And as we come together focused on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, recognizing who he is, what he did to become a little lower than the angels, to taste death for us that he might rise from the dead, defeating death once and for all, reigning in heaven until that day of his return. Oh, and we're given this as just a preview of what is to come. And then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the one who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. We celebrate creation. We mourn the fall. We embrace the redemption, and we remember that Operation Restoration is underway. You know, I'll probably never have a 1967 fully restored original condition Volkswagen. It exists in my mind. Yeah. But I do know that one day, I, as a human being, will be fully restored in the image of Jesus Christ, and I will dwell in the presence of God in all eternity. And there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. But until then, people are still coming to faith. People have yet to hear and see an authentic gospel lived out. With God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, let us be the vehicles through whom that is lived out, that others can hear the good news and join us in this amazing restoration project that is underway in the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. 
For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Operation Restoration is fully underway. God is at work, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of your struggles, your pain, your suffering. You are not alone. C.S. Lewis once said that pain is God's megaphone used to get our attention. What's God doing in your life? What lessons does he have for you to learn? How is the Holy Spirit working and shaping your character to reflect the character of Jesus? Those are the questions that are worth asking as we move through life, knowing the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, that what we do does matter. How we live our lives makes a difference. So let us continue to covenant together, to live in this kingdom, to open our hearts to the movement of the Holy Spirit, that others might see Jesus in you and me.